the myth is that athletes need to feel or think a certain way to perform optimally. Scratch that. I don't care what you think or feel. I want you to be able to shift and direct your attention to what is happening. Hi, everyone. This is Ben Guest, and today's conversation is with Brian Sullivan. Brian is a former Division I basketball player at Davidson College where he ranks second on several of the school's three-point records behind only Steph Curry, the greatest shooter of all time. Brian played professionally overseas and then went back to Davidson as director of student athlete development and is now a graduate student at the University of Denver, where he's earning his master's in psychology with a focus on sport and performance psychology. Brian, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. What conditions need to be in place for people to perform at their best? Probably the biggest thing would really be your your attention, the ability to kind of shift and I don't want to say control, but um, direct your attention towards where it needs to be. There's a lot, obviously, of other things that you could talk about in terms of confidence and emotion and and arousal but i i think attention if you can if you can kind of um take note of all that and then just be able to shift your attention to to the task at hand i think is really the key for performing optimally what are some tools people can use athletes or just in life to center their attention yeah i i think the big one is mindfulness i heard Forget maybe it's Dr. Judson Brewer. Um, I think it's I believe it's him. First to it as a mental push-up um, in terms of focusing your attention on something and then noticing when it drifts. And then that that exercise of bringing that attention back is is he refers to as a mental push-up. Right. And I love that idea of recentering your focus as a practice, because I think one of the the few stumbling blocks people have to incorporating mindfulness or incorporating meditation in their lives is, well, I I can't clear my mind. I I tried it and my mind didn't become clear, which if you're a practitioner of these things, you know that that is not going to happen, right? It's impossible for our mind to just be empty. The goal is just to be able to be aware of our thoughts. And eventually what happens is you see a thought, it's like a cloud in the sky, comes in to your periphery, and then it leaves and something else comes in and leaves. And so a tool to reach that, that place is just recentering. Okay. This is what I'm thinking about now. And then, you know, an additional step is, okay, I'm thinking about this now. Can I step back and look at it with less emotional attachment? We actually um, did an exercise in one of my classes and the exercise was don't think a thought for as long as you can. <laughs> and and you, you had to raise your hand when you, when you, when a thought popped up. And inevitably, everyone's hand was raised in seven seconds, probably 10 seconds. But it, it's to your point, uh, our brains produce thought. And so the idea of stopping or clearing the mind, I think is a hard one to grasp. One thing that can help people who are new to this is to shift the goal from not having any thoughts because that's impossible, seven seconds, that's impossible, to being aware of mm. my thoughts. Could you, let, let's, let's move to confidence. What are your thoughts about confidence? I read two, two sports psychologists' work, and one was um, Peter Haberl. Dr. Peter Haberl works with the United States Olympic Committee, and then Dr. Um, Christopher Henriksen works for Team Denmark. And 
they talk about kind of the great athlete myth is, is what Dr. Haberl uses as thinking the myth is that athletes need to feel or think a certain way to perform optimally. And he kind of says, scratch that. I don't care what you think or feel. I want you to be able to shift and direct your attention to what is happening. The, um, the best example he gives is, I believe, is Sir Chris Hoy, a British cyclist. And they asked him what it felt like before each race. And I think a lot of people would expect an athlete to be like, oh, I felt confident, energized. I felt motivated. I felt like I was going to win. And his answer was, it felt like I was going to the gallows. From that perspective, you're not always going to think the right thoughts. You're not always going to feel confident going into a game, but you can act a certain way. You can act aggressively. You can play courageously. After reading their work, I, I, I was kind of more persuaded. Um, that, that maybe that's that's how I see confidence. That's a, that's an interesting word, courageously. What are your thoughts about courage? As a performer, I think you need to be courageous. Um, I think you need to be able to kind of lay it all out there. You put yourself on the line. And um, I think about it a lot. I was, when I played basketball as a shooter, and it takes some courage to go two for 15 from three in a game. But I think that's, you need to be willing to do that to go eight for 10 or eight for 11. Cause you don't really, you act courageously, you feel confident. Um, I think maybe there's something there and something I, I certainly hope to. You never feel courageous when you're acting courageously. I mean, by definition, oh. you feel scared and, and it's doing it. Being courageous is doing something in spite of the fear. And what's great about courage is the more you use it, the bigger the reservoir, the internal reservoir mm. becomes. And, and I guess to, to give an example of my own background was before I would play, especially early on in my college career. Um, I think that's probably a difficult time for everyone, a transition going from being the man to now success seems to come and go a little bit more than it used to, um, was I would think I needed to feel confident. I need to have this awesome self-talk um, before a game and then before game time, it was like, I'm thinking worst case scenario the whole time. And then I get even more worked up because I'm trying to change my feelings. And then it's like, oh, I'll, I'll feel confident. I'll redirect and I'll feel confident for, you know, five minutes. And then boom, inevitably all that, that rush of negativity and worst case scenario comes back. And I, I used to just really get myself pretty worked up um, before games. And so I think this idea um, when I read their work kind of resonated with me it kind of flips the script a little bit that's again where something like mindfulness can come in because in the locker room as either those those hyped up thoughts or those headed to the gallows thoughts come into your head it's a tool where you can step back emotionally and say okay this is the thought i'm having now it doesn't mean it's the thought i'm always going to have it doesn't mean that I need to change my emotional state because I'm having this thought. Oh, yes. Yeah. And in the course of a season, some games you may walk into feeling like the man and some games it may be the otherwise. But again, like that attention, can you, you know, be aware of what you're thinking and accept it and then be able to focus your attention on the scouting report and how you want to play out there um, and really what's what's in front of you. 
So what are your thoughts on emotion when it comes to peak performance? The sweaty palms, the butterflies, like that's your body's arousal level. I didn't, I didn't know it when I was playing. I was like, man, I, I don't like the way this feels. This doesn't feel like how I should feel before I'm going to do something competitive. Um, but really, it's your body getting ready. Um, and I think it's also important to understand that different people have different uh, eyes off is what it's called, individualized zones of optimal functioning. And so some people, like for me, I'm, I'm a naturally anxious person and some studies have shown that I would tend to be lower on arousal. I don't need pregame pump up music. I, I'm trying to like calm myself down because that's where I perform best in a less aroused state. Whereas some people want a Red Bull and, and pump up music. And that was kind of like the norm, I think when I was playing and I was different than that. And it, it kind of like that relationship, uh, I think made me feel a little bit, maybe le less confident or just different, I think. I was like, oh man, I must be having, I must be like kind of more nervous than everyone else about this game because they're here laughing and dancing and I'm here kind of just like, all right, let's take some breaths and, and let's calm, calm down. So I think understanding it is, is really important. And from my experience, like the more I've, I've learned about it now, like, man, I wish I knew that that was just kind of like who I was and what I needed to do to perform better. That's so interesting because as a basketball coach, I felt my job on game day, especially before the game started, but also during the game, was to lower stress levels. So it was very much no loud music. We're going to meditate before the game. We're going to just be centered and, and present. But now I'm wondering if, and, and I think the answer is yes, if I had a blind spot in that some people probably needed to be hyped up. Some people probably needed to be in that arousal state. And in my quest to lower the anxiety levels, maybe that wasn't the, mm -hmm. the right thing for everybody. I'll tell you what, I would have loved to play for you. <laughs> Uh, well, but yeah, I, I definitely would have had love to have you play for me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, theoretically, some guys, some some performers, guys or girls, um, would need more to get to their kind of optimal level. Right. And and I a couple of weeks ago, I just finished up a four part podcast miniseries on positive coaching. So I've been thinking a lot about coaching. What traditional coaches are great at is preparation. What traditional coaches are terrible at is lowering stress levels and lowering anxiety levels. In fact, I think most traditional coaches up all of those things. Mm -hmm. And from all the research I've seen, peak performance comes when you feel a combination of prepared. Again, coaches are generally great at that and relaxed. And coaches, traditional coaches are generally terrible at the helping my players be relaxed phase traditional coaches, I'd say, are so focused on preparation that I think some of the other stuff of, in terms of how players are feeling going into a game and, and whether it's relaxed or, or, or it's just kind of ignored. It's not, I don't think they're like trying to stress out their players, but I think by focusing exclusively on the scouting report and, and other things, it doesn't it stresses, I could see that stressing performers out. Yeah, sure. So coach McKillop is a, a legend coach at Davidson 
where Steph Curry played, as we talked off air, you're, you have, you're in second place amongst several three-point categories that Davidson, second only to, as you put it, the greatest shooter of all time, which there's no question he is. So yeah, talk, talk to us about your experience playing for Coach McKillop, what, what he did really well, what you learned from him. I've learned so much from him, and I've found that, and I tell this to other coaches, I'm still learning from him. Messages that I got from him as a player are like, some of them still sink in today. So he, he was just incredibly foundational. And, and some of the, the bigger lessons I've learned from him, he has all these kind of isms, things he always says. Um, okay, give us some. You help somebody, you help yourself. Um, that's probably been my biggest takeaway from playing and working for him. Um, and he uses it as a basketball saying, like you set a screen for someone, two guys go to the guy coming off the screen, you end up getting open. Um, but also after a rough stretch of games, he'd have the team write a note to someone that helped them get to where they are now. And I think it really rings true. You help somebody, you help yourself. Um, that's been the biggest one. Um, he's got some sloppiness as a disease. Oh, what's that? Well, I was going to say, what's great about that is it's true in basketball and it's true in life, right? Which leads me to another coach McKillism. Basketball is life. And not in the term of like ball is life, but what you do on the court, the way you're a teammate, the way you approach it, how you live, it's how you're going to be a husband, it's how you're going to be a father, it's how you're going to, all of what we're, what he teaches, he's a teacher, so he's a, an old history teacher. And so that really comes out in the way he coaches. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a huge one. My favorite, one of my favorites is sloppiness is a disease. And he lives that, that out mean? like he is the way he, there's a lot of different takeaways, but like if our locker room is messy, like that leads into the court. And if your office is messy, that, you know, just he's very detail oriented. Yeah. Approach everything. There's only one way to approach things and find that you're sloppy in one area that can, that can bleed over into other areas. Um, so those are some of my, the ones that, that stick with me. Well, and I love what you started with in terms of the continuing impact he has because this is a lesson that I missed as a young coach and it's the most important lesson in coaching which is if you do this right this is going to be a lifelong relationship where as a coach you're hopefully having a positive influence on the people who play for you and they're in turn having a positive influence on you right back to the idea of you help somebody else you help yourself and when you do it wrong, it's transactional. It's, you're going to help me win. I'm going to whatever. And life is about relationships and mm -hmm. having high quality relationships in your life is worth its weight in gold. And I think one of the best examples, and I'm just going to keep singing Coach McKillop's praises, he, every year, like he'll go to four or five weddings and it's tough as a, as a division one head basketball coach weddings in July, like that's the recruiting live period. And he'll fly from uh, an AAU tournament to Europe to, for one of his former European players wedding. Like he does not miss weddings and everyone wants him to be at their wedding. And I think that's a pretty, uh, pretty indicative of, of what you were saying, the relationships piece and, and something that he's done really quite awesome with. 
What are the things that get you into flow state? So there's a, a model and I'm going to blow whose it is, but really it, it, there's four areas, uh, a, a graph, a y-axis and an x-axis. And um, it theorizes that flow state is achieved when the challenge meets our abil- level of ability. If the challenge is too hard, that's not it. If the challenge is too easy, low, low ability, low challenge is not. So it's got to meet right challenge for my ability. I'd say that and, and then being able to just kind of maintain a presence and attention to what's going on. Brian, this has been great. Please tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, so my newsletter is, is threepoints.substack.com. Fantastic. And if you're interested in performance and how people, whether they're athletes, whether it's yourself, coach, anybody can perform at their best, I can't recommend Brian's Substack enough. It's threepoints.substack.com. Brian Sullivan, thank you so much. Thank you. This is Ben Guest. You can find all of my work at benbo.substack.com. That's benbo.substack.com. Please take a minute and like and or review this podcast as that helps with the algorithm. Thank you and have a great day.